some of the most impactful speeches by activists that we've heard in the last few years are those who are truly authentic. No, I'm thinking about Greta Thunberg in the European Parliament saying, "How dare you?" No, like to the face of the politicians and almost crying because you cannot contain your frustration at the lack of action. No, and I think sometimes being more honest and transparent delivers a bigger response. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Oh My Curry Goodness. My name is Hamza Islam. On each episode of this podcast, I talk to Gen Zers from different fields about their story and their experiences that have shaped them into who they are today. I use want to use this podcast as a way to share people's stories so that it allows myself and hopefully you guys as listeners to know what it's like to be another person. And while they are doing, while all the guests I've had on the podcast are doing incredible things, there were many challenges and obstacles that they had to overcome. And so when it came to naming the podcast, Oh My Curry Goodness, I wanted to use the Oh My Goodness part to talk about all the challenges that, challenges and obstacles that they have experienced and that they've overcome because it gives you the sense of hope. And I incorporated curry because it's my favorite food. Now, my goal for this podcast is I would hope that someday people actually use the term Oh My Curry Goodness. But more importantly, I hope that you guys continue to take valuable lessons from each guest as you continue to write your own story. And as someone who loves storytelling, it's great. It's, I think all my guests will be able to tell you that even though they've done incredible things, that for them, they haven't finished their story yet. They're still in the middle of their story. However, they can join this podcast to help people, whether they're in the middle of their own story or who are just starting their own story. So I hope you guys continue to support this podcast and just continue to be inspired by incredible people of this generation or yeah, incredible people of this generation. Now this week, my guest is Samuel Rubin, who is the founding convening team member of Entertainment and Culture for Climate Action and a climate storyteller. Now, one of the things that me and Samuel have in common, and you can probably tell from that buzzword, storytelling. And it's really cool to be able to connect with someone who values that as well as grassroots activism. And for, I know climate change is a very popular topic that Gen Zers and I'm sure other people are very passionate about because they want to live in a world where climate change is talked about and taken care of and not just in certain countries, but all around the world. And so seeing people like Samuel being involved in this, um, I know it cannot be an easy conversation, but it can also be a necessary conversation. So I'm looking forward to talking to Samuel about climate change and just his personal story and as well as our passion for storytelling. So Samuel Rubin, thank you so much for joining. Oh my curry goodness. Thank you so much for having me, Hamza. I appreciate being here and I think creating these spaces for conversation and knowledge sharing is super important. So congrats on the work you've done so far. Thank you so much. And I really believe that if we want to be able to inspire change or create something meaningful, it really has to go down to having conversations. And mm -hmm. I know that sounds like a low bar, but it feels like no matter what, we try to talk about, it feels like we have a lot of division. Before we talk about climate change activism, I first want to talk about, again, that our, our passion for storytelling, because that's something that we connect with. And we and I believe that storytelling is a great tool to inspire people. And I'm sure you believe that too. I know you obviously had a life before 
being involved in climate change. But I am curious to know what stories you you had when you were little that you felt you were inspired by and that kind of propelled you into getting involved in climate change activism. It doesn't maybe and maybe it doesn't have to be directly involved. It didn't directly get you involved in climate change, but it made you start thinking. And I'll give an example in order in, in case it doesn't make sense. As someone who loves podcasting, I think hearing the stories of my friends and seeing what they went through, it kind of inspired me to do a podcast because it's like, wait, so you mean there are people who are going there are people that you think are doing good, but they have their own internal battles that you just don't know unless you actually get to meet them. And so that's why I created this podcast, because I wanted to know what it's like to be other people. So I want to, I'm curious to know on your end, when it comes to climate change, what stories do you feel like you were impacted by that really got you involved in, in this field of climate change? Well, to answer your first question about storytelling, I, um, I started as a child actor very little when I was 12, and that happened in, in almost an accidental way. I, you know, I was identified by a casting director and I started doing um, theater uh, at a very early age. And I think being allowed to play and explore my performative creative skills um, brought me an awareness of the importance of storytelling in terms of connecting with audiences and people who might not know you and your background. Um, and I've always felt very compelled with how we can retain people's attention and be compelling using the art of storytelling. And, and that has been something that throughout history, you know, we've done in religion, in communications and politics and all across the board for people to remember facts. And uh, as a... Um, child actor, my next step was to be uh, involved in producing, which I think is my my pa my passion uh, in the entertainment industry. And then as, I, as a producer, no, I realized that if I wanted to create content that will be compelling to audiences and that people will want to watch, then storytelling was even more important and was the key to success. No, My first two productions were non-fictional uh, documentaries, a short documentary and a feature documentary. And I work with journalists who are very like fact oriented and, you know, the the truth with no um, additive, so to speak. No? And then I realized to producing those projects that no matter how factual and accurate you want to be, having that storytelling and that people's first story-driven sentiment is crucial for people to remember the facts and that figures and all of those. No? So if I'm going to tell you about myself, if I tell you all the technical information about what I do, you probably will forget it in one minute. But if I tell you where I come from and what brought me where I am today, you might be more likely to remember it thanks to the power of storytelling. I love the way you ended this or ended that because it's about connecting with people and sharing where you come from. I know I apply this in school. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in college right now. And so I don't like to just get into the work or get into a project. I want to be able to know who the people I'm working with because I don't want to just see them as classmates or um, I forget the term, but I want to see them as human beings because that's who they are. 
I am curious to know though, because as someone who is a child, who was once a child actor, I've been reading a lot of books lately on people who grew up as a child actor. And it's an interesting thing because when we hear the, when we see the term actor, we think it's a pretty cool experience, but I am curious to know two things. Number one, what were some of the things that uh, I would say, what were some of the things that some of the misconceptions when it comes to the term, when it comes to the term child actor, because while it's a great thing and it's a cool experience, there are some things where it's like, I'm sure people will go, well, okay, this is what you see on the outside, but there's something else on the inside that you don't see. So what are some misconceptions about that? And then secondly, I, and I'm sure you also agree with this as well. There are certain things we can learn from, from different experiences. So what were some things aside from the creativity aspect that you also learned because it came from your experiences as a child actor? Great question. Yeah, I think in many ways, um, I'll start for the second one, because um, I think it also lead more on the first. I, a lot of the work I do is intergenerational, and I think starting um, a professional career at a very young age when you are working with people who are older than you and are much more experienced and there is different power dynamics, um, give you a lot of tools that then later you can apply in life, especially in my case as a producer, to make sure that, you know, I understand the different working styles and the different sensitivity that people at different times in their life will have, um, especially if you're working you know, with a child or someone younger who is more likely to be um, insecure. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I think when we are less experienced, no matter how we uh, present ourselves with confidence, um, we still are questioning whether if we're doing things as right as we should or put in a very high bar for ourselves, which is something I think probably a lot of Gen Zers relate to, is this, you know, very overachieving mentality. Um, and I think, you know, that is also something that I learned in my child acting experience is that I am more insecure than I also wanted to present myself, you know, especially when you have no choice but to go uh, into the stage. In my case, the child acting that I did was theater, so it also had the component of having to like confront the audience in person, not so necessarily being a lot of hours on set, uh, but also, you know, you know, it, 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 it's an intimidating thing when you are on a stage in front of hundreds of people and you have to memorize lines and you are very young and don't necessarily know, you know, how are people seeing you from the outside. So I, I when I think a lot about my insecurity issues throughout the years, I realize oh, some, some of my, you know, inner feelings come from that period in time when I had to like just put it all together for the job, but not necessarily because I felt the most equipped. Um, and yeah, I think those are the two the two takeaways, the intergenerational um, building, relationship building, and then also like learning how to, you know, navigate my own insecurities and how to also put myself out there even when inside of me I'm like petrified and I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I definitely want to talk about 
the putting yourself out there when it comes to theater later on, because I want to talk about fear. And I think that's what you just said is a really interesting thing, because I know it's not the same thing as public speaking, but in a way it kind of has its similarities because you are speaking in front yeah. of people. And it's it very can, similar. And I think it, very similar. Yeah. And it can definitely be a scary thing. And I will say this, and I don't know, actually I do want to, I'm actually curious to know this. So I, I talked about this with another person, which is uh, another guest, which is, I don't mind speaking in front of people or like the idea of getting in front of a stage. What I can sometimes be nervous about is whether if I'm doing like a public speaking assignment for a class, I'm not worried about the audience. I'm just worried about whether the message resonates with, with the, with the classmates or not just getting a good grade, but it's like, Oh, I really took something away. I'm curious to know if you feel that when, if you've ever felt that as a child actor, like I'm not afraid of the, of the people like i'm not afraid of speaking in front of someone or doing something in front of someone but it's more so whether my the way i portray certain characters resonates with the audience i don't know if that's something that you yeah. well i think especially when you are um uh, embodying characters that have personal experiences that you might not necessarily relate to and that requires you know i think that one of the things that actors need um, in order to do their job well is empathy and emotional intelligence. You know? And I think that when you are speaking about something that is not your authentic story and your you know, origin, it might be easier to feel like an imposter you know, and to feel like, what am I saying? I'm not, I'm, am I saying what is really my story or am I saying what I think people want to hear? or what I think sounds smarter or that I think is expected of me to say, you know? So I think um, what I've realized about public speaking is that the more you channel your authentic self, the more confident you allow yourself to feel. But that is also taking a risk because authenticity comes at a cost sometimes, you know? Not, a, not always everyone wants to hear the truth. And when it comes to activism, and um, a lot of what we say in the climate space, you know, uh, the truth is very powerful, but also sometimes, you know, requires that amount of storytelling so it doesn't sound as harsh and it can be, you know, rooted in personal experiences rather than just the feelings of that experience. Switching to activism, one of my favorite questions I like to ask people, and it's similar to what I kind of asked you about how there are certain experiences that you can take away from that can help you become the person you are today. So I want to ask you something similar in that as someone who loves watching TV, I often see advertisements that see that have that before and after. So for example, this usually happens when you take some sort of medicine where it's like, this was what a person looked like before the medicine. And after, or this is what the person looks like after taking the medicine. As someone, I'm, and don't worry, I'm not, it's not not going to ask you a medical question, but I will ask, I do, I, I am curious to know about, technically, I want to focus on your why in the sense that while not everyone will understand the reason behind the things that you get involved or in getting involved in climate change activism, um, to be more specific, tell me a bit about I guess the before and after of who Samuel Rubin was in terms of getting involved in climate change activism. So what was Samuel like before getting involved in climate change, climate change activism? And then what was Samuel like either from a personal 
uh, like a personal thing, character trait, skills. What was Samuel like once he got on activism? Were there any differences or did you feel like you were still that yeah. same person? Yeah, and I think in my case, it's not, it's not necessarily just the climate change activism. I think my personal background and story, what happened was growing up as a child actor, then realizing that, you know, I don't want to be in front of a camera. I don't want to be on the stages. I want to be precisely behind the scene, helping the stories get made and produced. And that's how at age 16, I switched to doing only producing. But then around that same time was also when Occupy Street was flourishing, when I was going to public high school and I was realizing that the government was cutting the budget and therefore that was impacting the quality of my education. And they even wanted to eliminate the national arts program that we were enrolled in. And so in order to mobilize and protect the education and other uh, rights of the welfare system, which in I grew up in Barcelona, uh, where we still have, you know, single payer healthcare system, we still have a free public higher education. And so those rights are not going to continue to be there unless we um, protect them and go out on the streets and also mobilize and uh, sustain the organized activism. And in my case, when I started participating on strikes and I started participating on the Occupy Wall Street assemblies, I realized that my activism was precisely defined by the creative skills, by my ability to uh, do storytelling. And I didn't have to separate both. No, I was able to strengthen the issues that I cared about and the past and the you know activism that was true to my core by also being the artist and the storyteller that I am also. So uh, without separating both, um, I began to be very involved in various issues, especially um, with the refugee humanitarian crisis, which is why I also did my first documentary feature film about this issue. And that's how I realized how so many of the issues that I cared about were interconnected to climate and uh, the climate crisis. Um, and what I do for a living is social impact entertainment. So, of course, as a social impact practitioner, so much of what I've learned that I do in my work is based on activism and organizing, um, which is in many ways a privilege that I get to uh, work in a field where I can leverage the issues that I care about and also what I'm passionate about, which is storytelling and uh, performative art. Uh, but yeah, to, I don't know if that answers your question about how I got to activism and how that has changed my life, given that that's so much the core of what I do also for a living. Yeah, you you answered my question perfectly, so I do appreciate that. Now, I do want to talk about impact because I think that word is a very, uh, it can be a, a misunderstanding because it, for some reason we don't understand the true meaning of impact. But what I do want to talk about is as someone who's been involved in various issues and especially who's been passionate about climate change, entertainment, um, storytelling, you always talked about your role as uh, being in the social impact space. I do want to ask you, 
what would you say was like the first step? And if this is a bad question, we can cut it. But one of the things I've asked lately is what is the first step, first step someone took in their life that kind of shaped them into who they are today? And what I mean by that is you, you obviously are passionate about things, but sometimes we can always have, we can sometimes hold ourselves back because while we believe we can do this, sometimes we feel like we can't for some reason. And usually there's the, there's like the step that you take that the moment you take it, it allows, it opens so many doors for you. I'm curious to know when you kind of look back in your life, what would you say was like the first step that you took that kind of guided you in terms of finding your purpose, finding your passion, getting involved as a social impact or getting involved in yeah. social impact? No, that's a great question. And I think it does has a lot to do with my introduction to activism. As I said, when I was about 16 years old, uh, it was also around the same time when Occupy Wall Street was uh, flourishing. And for those who don't remember or, or are too young, um, at that time, uh, when the market collapsed, um, there was a big economic aftershock uh, after the collapse of 2008. And so 2010, 2011, many um, governments that were burdened by debt had to do severe um, budget cuts in their respective um, you know, uh, budget areas. And in Spain, when I was living at the time, it was very, very tough especially for many places in Europe and in Southern Europe. And so basically what the government announced is that the program that we were enrolled in, they were going to completely get rid of that and they were going to eliminate the program because they felt that the uh, performing arts program that we were enrolled in wasn't, you know, really... Uh, like from a capitalistic term, it wasn't like, you know, super profitable enough. Like, why do we want people to be artists better to make them be doctors or uh, professors or whatever? And so um, they wanted to eliminate it. And, you know, I kind of had that motivation with others, but in a collective grassroots manner, no, we organized, but like in every grassroots movement, someone has to like pull the trigger and be like, okay, let's do this. And in my case, it was very much like, okay, we're not going to allow the government to get rid of this program. Let's mobilize and start a campaign to convey and communicate to the people the importance of the program and why it shouldn't be eliminated. And we did that by creating a petition and to promote the petition, we did a lot of um, performing activations around the city and in, the, in Spain, we did a digital campaign with actors and influencers and the process of organizing the campaign, bringing together direct action, producing that, you know, all the materials necessary was my first introduction to doing impact producing and to combining my creative skill sets with my organizing skill sets. And I think that's also when I realized, oh, that is impact producing. That is, you know, very specific. And I can do that not just for this purpose, but for many other campaigns and even content I care about. Yeah, no, thank you for saying that and ever talking about that. And it was funny because I was thinking about that, thinking about asking you this question and I was just debating, like, should I ask it? Should I not? But I'm glad that you like the question. So I appreciate it. 
Now, when it comes to going going into impact, I am curious to know because you've been involved in impact for a very long time, and I didn't talk about this in the introduction, but I know in 2019 you co-founded Yeah Impact, and as its as the chief impact officer, you saw campaigns such as Can You Hear Us, uh, I Am Greta on Hulu, Youth V Gov on Netflix, and for those who want to go check it out, I will make sure to include Samuel's website on the show notes. But I am curious to know because you've obviously made an impact, and you uh, believe that you've obviously you've you've been involved in impact. You that's a that's a really important word for you. But I guess I know this is going to be a very stupid question, but I think it's a it's something that I used to struggle with when I first started podcasting because I didn't really know how you define impact because people might go, well, here's your credibility. This is how what makes you an, an impactful person. But I think when a person is starting then there, I guess it's very easy to feel overwhelmed. Like, okay, Samuel is doing this, but I haven't done anything. What, what, are, what are some misconceptions when it comes to the word impact from your experience? Because people often say that anybody can make a difference no matter how big or how small. And while that's great to hear, when it comes to experiencing it, it feels like, okay, how much have you made an impact? And yet we kind of forget, we kind of stay away from the idea that anybody can make an impact we only want to focus on how, like, I guess we focus more on the credibility rather than the, the intention or the purpose or the potential that a person has. So I guess going back, I just want to know what are some misconceptions you you think people have when it comes to the word impact? Well, I think the first misconception is that saying impact as a standalone term can mean both negative impact or positive impact. You know, it's like, it's a very physical um, definition, like, you know, if I'm impacting my phone against the floor, you know, based on how strong I throw it to the ground, it'll crash or not, you know, and it can also, like, the phone can fall from a 10,000 plane, you know, 10,000 feet, and be intactless, and then it can fall down the stairs and break, you know, so it's like, at the end of the day, when we talk about impact, we're not going to know what kind of impact or how it presents until we measure and evaluate it, which is also what I um, specialize a lot in, is the measurement and evaluation portion of impact. Um, also, it's not just about positive or negative impact, uh, but it's also about qualitative versus quantitative. You know, there is many different ways and tangible ways in which we can make a difference regardless of whether if it's a positive or negative difference, a lot of impact is harmful and a lot of impact is, you know, beneficial in many ways. But it's also whether if it's cumulative impact or direct impact that happens once and might not, you know, sustain long term. So I think impact as a word is massive and it can be interpreted in many ways. So I will say that one of the biggest misconceptions is precisely to think that just by we're saying impact, we are already assuming that you need to have, that you are meaning of having a very positive, significant impact, because that doesn't mean impact. Positive, significant impact means making a big uh, positive change, you know, and specifically in what, you no? Know, I think... Um, when you are doing um, impact, 
usually you know and you can evaluate that based on your impact goals, your desired outcomes, and usually that is um, developed within a framework called theory of change. No, so you start breaking down. Okay, so I want to see this ultimate impact. So in order to get to that hypothesis, how am I going to get there? Well. Goal number A, goal number B, goal number C, and then each of those goals will need to be carried out with specific activities and deliverables and will be measured with specific indicators that can be, you know, numeric or can be testimonials, etc. And I'm getting very technical, but precisely that's what impact is. It's a very technical field. We are evaluating what are the consequences of a given activity and program. So um, it, it, it can be very easy to be abstract and intangible because a lot of times, you know, we are not going to be able to track exactly where does the impact come from. You can have this podcast and have a bunch of guests and it will be very hard for you to know if someone listens to this podcast and they get inspired and start an initiative or start something else because they were, you know, inspired by by something they heard on your podcast, you know. But it might happen. It's just that if you don't have the way to collect that information, intake that feedback, it's going to be very hard for you to know that you made that impact. So I think sometimes if, if someone is frustrated or is interested in knowing what kind of impact or, or different they are making it, they're going to have to most likely measure it themselves or they're not going to know unless they uh, can see very obvious signs and have ways to collect and uh, record those um, co consequences. No, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, that answers my question. And it is, it's something that I have been thinking of, which is how am I going to define that word for me? Because if other people are defining that, then it I don't think I will ever be at peace. And now it feels like I have to prove to other people. I, and maybe before we talk about climate change to wrap up, I'm actually curious to ask you this conver this question, because it's 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 a really weird question. I've had guests from have, who have different perspectives. One will say the idea of proving other people wrong because people ha don't really believe in the work that they do. And then I've also had guests that on the other side will just say, I know that there are people who have said things about me and they may not value the work that I do, but I'm not going to prove them wrong. I'm just going to prove myself right. Do you believe, and maybe you can give advice to, to listeners, do you believe it's important to focus on proving people wrong? Do you feel like it's important to prove people right? Or is it a mixture of two things? Based on your experience, what do you think is the best thing? And then what would you say, the I guess for listeners now, because you've obviously learned, from like from your experiences what advice what where do you think where, where do you think what do you think is the right way to go about that question that's a, that's a great question and what i will say is that usually when you start an impact campaign or you're developing an impact strategy the the initial process requires to map out the issue or um topics that you want to tackle and especially keep in mind what is the general response that audiences have like about that issue. For example, if we're talking about you know climate change, um, many people tend to respond 
in overwhelming you know negative feelings and very anxious about the the catastrophic uh, outcomes of the climate crisis and that usually paralyzes people into thinking that there is not much they can really do and if they think that there is things they can do they also get overwhelmed because they think they cannot do them all um so if we start evaluating and we see that people feel that way about a certain topic then probably you know shaming them or um adding more pressure will not likely result in these people being more effective or feeling better about that issue, but the opposite. It's just going to deepen that concern for them. No? So maybe trying a more joyful, um, inspiring, optimistic approach might invite people to be more proactive and feel that their action matters more. So I'm just using that as an example to say that, you know, if it's an issue where people are being very um, nonchalant or very uh, naive or very, you know, disconnected from the gravity of that issue, then maybe having a more um, alarming, alarming tone, you know, or, or, or using a more um, loud communication tactic will be more effective because people need to have that shock value versus something that is already being very much in a polarizing, shocking way all the time in the general discourse, then maybe trying a more soft, uh, compelling approach and kind approach might generate a better response, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about climate change. And the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, climate change is a very one of the most controversial topics because some people believe in it, some people don't believe in it, and that that causes a complete different or that causes a lot of uh, confusion and conversation. What I do want to ask is, what are some things that you are at peace with as someone who's involved in climate change? And when I say at peace, I mean the sense that you're going to do everything that you can to raise awareness, but there are times that people will just not agree with it. And the best thing you can do is shoulder shrug and keep going. And so even though your role as someone who's involved in climate change is to continue to raise awareness, what are some things where you're like, you know, I tried, but what are some things you're at peace with? Or in the sense like, you know, I tried my best to convince people, but they don't like it. So I'm just going to continue to keep going. I'm just going to continue to keep going because it's not in my control what people, how people react. That's just the way it is. What are some things where you're like, I guess, at pe- what are some things that you are at peace with as a climate change activist? That's a great question. I think a lot of climate change activists realize that, you know, when you start participating in different conferences and opportunities where you can um, bring your message and the initiative you are a part of, that requires a level of mobility and a lifestyle that then contradicts a lot of what the science tells us about how we can um, you know, reduce emissions and live a more climate-friendly lifestyle, which is not to travel as much. You know, like my, in my case, my family is from Barcelona and I do a lot of work in Los Angeles and the US. And you know, I travel from Europe to the US three, four times every year, which is the most polluting thing 
I can do as an individual, you know, mobility wise. So I think um what I what I like about your question about being at peace is that there is a lot of time that you have to be very aware about what your purpose is, who are you representing in the room, what are you bringing to the table that is important and unique that deserve to be included and part of the of the conversation. Sorry. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, I think it's very easy for people to think that, you know, you're not living the perfect lifestyle or embodying everything that you're speaking about. But I think we need to realize the big difference there is between individual and collective action and realize that as individual Yes, we have tremendous power and ability to shift consciousness, but our individual actions are not the ones amounting to environmental collapse as we see it. It's precisely the corporate grid and the systematic um, pollution that certain industries are currently sustaining that has brought us where we are. No, Like, yes, sir, it's not ideal that I'm flying four times back and forth from Europe to the US, but why why is the government not creating more incentive for sustainable aviation fuel or non-diesel um, combustibles to be powering uh, air travel? Because now they're figuring out how to fly planes using human poop, you know, and we are not developing this technology fast enough because we don't want to compromise the profits of fossil fuels. So I think we just need to be more at peace with our individual intentions and put a lot of the pressure that we put ourselves, mobilize that pressure to corporate stakeholders and governments who could be doing way more to mitigate the climate crisis. Before we wrap up, I one of, one of the last questions, well, I have two questions. One of the things that you and I have in common is the, the, the importance of storytelling, but also learning from other people's perspectives. And you have said in the past how you believe that co-generation makes climate storing a good thing because you're learning from various perspectives. And we talked about in the beginning how while we all want to create change and impact, it all starts from having conversations. Hmm. I'm sure you meet people that have a, great, a positive view on climate change and a negative view on climate change. And I don't want to necessarily talk about the specific conversations, but what I am curious about, because it's not just climate change, it can be about almost anything. It doesn't, mm -hmm. not just climate change, it can be about anything. How are you embracing those difficult conversations or those interactions you're going to have with people, who, with people who will disagree with you? Because it's one thing to see other people have disagreements, but then it's a completely different experience when you're having to talk to someone who is disagreeing with you. And that is a challenge. We don't like talking to people who yeah. are different from us. We like talking to people who agree with us. So how are you embracing those conversations? And what advice would you give to people, regardless if it's climate change, what advice would you give to people when it comes to embracing, talking to someone who has a different viewpoint compared to you? That's a very important question. And it's something that, you know, myself, I continue to struggle and learn about. I think that, you know, in activism and social impact in general, something that as practitioners and organizers we need to keep in mind is that 
when we talk to someone that might have a difference of opinion, the goal is not to win them over. The goal is not to change their mind, as in, oh, I'll win, and then I, t- I convinced you and I converted you. Um, but the goal is precisely to make that person or that community feel seen and feel heard. And if they feel like they are being, no matter what their opinion is and how far away from your opinion is, if you make the effort to listen to that opinion, to to ask questions about how they feel the way they feel, to enhance that dialogue by providing some of your personal experience that might educate different viewpoints you both have without being like, well, I don't think you should think that way because I thought that, but oh, I feel that way. Oh, that's interesting. When that happened to me, I felt that way. You know, as in like without pushing that agenda on someone else's throat, I think that ends up being way more effective than we realize. And it's very understandable to unconsciously try to convince someone the other way around. And it's because in many ways, that's how conventional politics do it. No, it's like the typical phone banking canvassing model, like knock on your door and be like, oh, you should vote for this person because look, point A, point B, point C. But in reality, it's more effective to ask someone, knock, knock, hey, what do you care about? What are the issues that matter the most to you? Oh, wow, about this issue. Did you know about this and that? Have you heard about this? Oh, interesting. What did you think about that? Boom. You know, it's like I just think creating those meaningful relationships through honest conversations that include active listening can result in breaking silos that otherwise will be reinforced through, you know, the polarizing, oh, but you, but I, which doesn't lead to consensus. The last thing I want to talk about is I want to bring back your experiences as a child, as a experiences, excuse me, as a child actor and being able to put yourself out in front of people, um, similar to how we talked about how it's similar to public speaking. Now, as someone who's involved in climate change activism and putting yourself out there, and obviously I'm sure even though you've accomplished a lot, there are still things that have, there are still things that are obstacles and challenges that you're experiencing today. I'm curious to know how often do you use that experience as a, how often do you use that experience as a child actor? Um, how, or sorry, let me, how do I word this? How, do, how often do you use your experiences as a child actor when it comes to putting yourself out there as a climate change activist? Because even though they're not really the same thing, because you're just putting on a performance as a child actor, and now getting involved in activism requires some sort of courage and bravery because you're going to be meeting with people who don't agree with you or who don't like you or whatever that may be. That experience, being able to put yourself out there is not a skill that everyone has. How often do you use that experience um, when it comes to being involved today, when it comes to that climate change field? Well, not, not often as I should, because I think that, you know, to be a good um, activist, um and command the room when you're speaking to a specific group of people, you really have to speak from emotion and from, you know, your feelings and your heart. 
and I always, you know, I feel so um, impacted when I hear a frontline activist uh, convey the emotions and feelings they feel about a specific issue and speaking authentically about it. Um, and I think, you know, precisely because I come from this very like performative background, a lot of times I tend to try to be very like measured and like diplomatic and say the right words and say the right things. And I think I should be more, um, you know, uh, comfortable expressing the full scope of my emotions and where they truly come from. And if that sometimes comes out as anger or that comes out as joy and happiness, I think there is a lot of tone policing in activism, which is, you know, um, a form of gatekeeping. But in reality, you know, some of the most impactful speeches by activists that we've heard in the last few years are those who are truly authentic. No, I'm thinking about Greta Thunberg in the European Parliament saying, how dare you, no? like to the face of the politicians and almost crying because you cannot contain your frustration at the lack of action. No, And I think sometimes being more honest and transparent delivers a bigger response yeah and what i will say is that you know regardless of what you do or i know that let's say climate change activism um it's a process and it's gonna be a long journey but um, i'm glad that there are people like you who are using your platform to make an impact and let's hope that it reaches as many people as possible and let's try to unite people and because while it's great to raise awareness, it's more important to have those conversations. So Samuel, thank you so much. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> oh. Yeah, of course. I was just going to say, um, yeah, Samuel, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, I will let you go because I know we you are on a strict schedule, but I just want to say thank you so much for joining the podcast. I wish you nothing but the best, and I hope to meet you in person someday. Of course. I'm sure we will. Take care. Thumbs up. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you guys like what you saw, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at the OMCG Podcast for more information on guests, preview clips, and more. Please continue to support this podcast in the future, and I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode. <laughs>